0: evening and welcome to Pello Talk. My name's Dave Pello, and uh, it's all happening right now. It's everything all hands, to, uh, on ha- all hands on deck. Excuse me, stuffing my words up. The Queensland election is very, very close. The New Zealand election has just happened and we've also seen, I guess, some disappointing results if you prefer a government right of Stalin in the Australian Capital Territory and the Northern Territory as well. Uh, So will the Queensland election be any different? Uh, It seems that uh, COVID-19 is favouring incumbent governments in a strong way. So that bodes well for Anastasia Palaszczuk. However, in a disciplined and rare moment of political commentary, contrasting normally conspicuous absence, Hillsong leader Brian Houston has suggested church COVID restrictions are approaching, quote, discrimination. In a series of tweets, he observed today or yesterday on Twitter that it's so interesting that the New South Wales government are about to allow 300 people to attend an indoor wedding, a religious service. And things are being relaxed for the hospitality industry, but still no changes for churches. We have a building with a space for 4,000 people, yet can only have 100 in there. The reason given is church people know each other, and apparently that means they're too friendly. Brian asks, do you think people are not friendly at weddings? It's getting to the point where it is discrimination. And that's the end of his quote. He concluded by calling for church leaders to unite and take a stand, affirming a shared commitment to keeping people safe, but questioning the Berejiklian government's seeming unwillingness to even consider partial restoration of natural freedoms of worship and assembly. Well, any time Brian Houston tweets, there's a multitude of anti-religious bigots with barrows full of willfully ignorant intolerance for him in particular and Hillsong in general. They're not dissimilar, actually, to blowflies, with the unfortunate bonus of being able to produce their own steady stream of manure to create a buzz. They come out in swarms whenever the high-profile, mega-popular church trends on Twitter. But the, most, the mostly Christophobic reactions to one side The point many are making now in many states, not just New South Wales, with similarly inexplicable anti-church restrictions, is thousands of people are allowed to gather at sporting events and shopping centres, hundreds on public transport and at restaurants, but there's no relief in sight for churches. Bunnings was considered an essential service, brothels were considered an essential service, abortions were considered an essential service, not churches. Did government, though, grant the freedom to worship? Did government benevolently reach down from heaven and grant the mortals who pay their wages the freedom to assemble, speak their mind, earn a living, and move about the country where they were born? No. None of these were originally granted by government. They are the sovereign domain of our Creator. Government has no more objectively valid authority over the freedom to assemble or worship than you do over your neighbour's long grass. Freedom doesn't come from government and pulpits around the nation should have been preaching since day one of all COVID restrictions that government doesn't have any ranking authority to take it away. Arguments about the severity or lack thereof of the Wuhan flu indirectly legitimise the claim that there might be a case where the government can transgress God-given freedom. Of course, there may be some exceptions to the inviolability of natural freedom, but short of an actually declared war against a foreign nation, not a virus, they are few and far between. The government-appointed, unelected experts with opaque modelling and secret science, which they're not confident enough to allow scrutiny of, may stretch definitions of any granted exception to natural freedoms. First, they'll tell us that the restrictions are minimal and the goal achievable, like reduced numbers while flattening the curve. But as surely as absolute power corrupts absolutely, these unaccountable bureaucrats will incrementally ratchet down the freedom and ratchet up the goals, as the population is cowed into submission by Stalinesque reporting of enemies of the propagandised public good. Freedoms are not conditional upon responsible handling, we don't have to earn our freedom by doing the right thing according to some stuffed shirt. It's ours already, fraudulently violated by government. It was not so in Eden's garden, and for government to now infantilise citizens with restrictions claimed to protect us from ourselves is a type of paternalism not even God felt appropriate. Of course, we advocate wisdom and sensible precautions, but our assurances and even cooperation are still not a qualification for freedom. Freedom was always ours to do with as we please, and government's illegitimate regulations and directives are as insulting as they are oppressive. And this is where so many pulpits, along with the press, have somewhat failed the people they serve in their silence about the abuses of government authority, if they even comprehended the gravity of the fraud in the first place. And when I say fraud, I mean it's well and good to pray for those who are in authority, Scripture commands us to. But such a proper directive cannot mean a blank check for tyranny which so utterly violates the God-ordained boundaries of government authority. God no more gave democracies or dictatorships authority to deprive humans of natural freedoms than he did to undefine the holy sacrament of marriage. It is not the pulpit's job to prop up bad policy affecting issues clearly expounded in Scripture with either affirmation or acquiescent silence. It is, however, the pulpit's job to expound the nature of the various authorities, freedoms and civic responsibilities God has ordained. It is the pulpit's job to provide the nation with a conscience and in a pluralistic, inclusive, liberal democracy, such as proliferates the West, to multiply that voice in its many voting members. As Dr. Michael Youssef has said, as goes the pulpit, so goes the pew. As go the, goes the pew, so goes the nation. It is actually past time church leaders unite to take a stand. Huge applause to those church leaders like Brian Houston and Anglican Archbishop Glenn Davies, who are awakening us from the Western prosperity-induced coma of political complacency and speaking out against oppression now. If there's anything every society will always need, and especially more so during hard times, it's the church, in whatever local expression she may prefer, at her absolute discretion. The charity, comfort and counsel of those whose highest motivation is love of neighbour. Next, I want to have a talk about some of the issues uh, that the church can be talking about in extension and beyond the abuse of power from uh, COVID-19 and those restrictions into some of those issues now front and centre of the Queensland election. But first, it's time to welcome to pello Talk tonight for our 30th episode this year, our panellists, and joining me first is Alexandra Marshall, Ellie Mellie on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, Ellie.
1: It is a pleasure to be here tonight
0: we will be picking your brain about the role of church and state from a secular humanist's perspective, uh, or in shorthand for those who are not informed of that exact philosophy, basically atheist. Um, And there are a lot of uh, aggressive secularists out there. I don't think you'd call yourself aggressive, but I look forward to to a a discussion with somebody who doesn't necessarily agree with me eye to eye on all of that. Uh, And someone who probably does, and maybe even takes it a little bit further, is uh, my good friend and fellow Good Source contributor Bernard Gaynor. Thanks for joining us tonight, Bernie.
2: G'day, Dave. It's great to be here and it's great to be on here with Alexandra as well. Looking forward to it.
0: And uh, for the first time tonight, we also have Matthew Wong from The Discernible Interviews, a uh, fantastic YouTube channel having interviews, long form conversations with anybody and everybody, uh, unlike. The ABC, or the Guardian, or the Fairfax Press, which we are waiting for an announcement into a royal commission of. How are you, Matthew?
3: You didn't hold back in your intro, did you, David? I loved it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, I, I feel I feel very passionately. This is actually how I got into independent media. I just wanted to educate Christians about politics. Um, it's an area far too many of us are far too uninformed about. Um, So if you're watching tonight, welcome to the show to you as well. You can join us live in the comments section if it's uh, relevant um, Civic and sincere. We'll uh, gladly put it on the screen and uh, perhaps mention it Um, And if you're watching us later, I'd still welcome your comments and uh, please share this this uh, video we'd like to get the news around Uh, in fact one of these episodes from a month ago made the um, made the Guardian news just recently, although they were quite disparaging, as you'd expect them to be, which uh, is um, is a kindness, I guess, uh, at the end of the day. But let's um, fly around, um, Matt. I'd actually like to start with you as uh, the newest um, panelist on PeloTalk. Talk. Uh, you actually uh, belong to the Hillsong movement church denomination um and i'm why uh... did you
3: just tank my channel instantly gone <laughs> if you admit if you admit that you're either a christian that's one thing but if you admit that you go to a hillsong church that's that's a no no admission but no yes I, I do david and i am very encouraged that brian has finally come out and said something i've been saying for a long time we as a church and not just our church but many churches need to grow some balls I think we we get lulled into a false sense of freedom in the West, where we think that the government is out there looking after us to protect us, but in fact, we will often be the last to stand up for our rights. And maybe that has yeah. something to do with parts in the Bible about you know the government's there to protect you, anointed by God, and you know do what they say.
0: So, um, how many people? Uh, I guess Hillsong is such a big church, you you couldn't possibly have surveyed everybody, but uh, what's your finger on the pulse feeling um, like the general membership regards um, political silence or political activism um, from the pulpit um, on Sunday morning or even through press releases and and tweets?
3: I'm an odd one in that I have stronger views uh, and I probably lean a lot more libertarian than most of the church. but. It's just like most other churches. It's very broad. It's such a big, big place now, right right around the world. So I think mm. it's very much like the Anglican church where there's a lot of um, varied views. Uh, and yep. I think that overall it reflects society in that most of us are uh, kind of, kind of with the go- – I'm not – but kind of with the government. Most people trust the government, and certainly they ascribe to that Christian philosophy of – being good citizens, which I think is completely incompatible in the face of unjust governments, say, you know, Nazi Germany or, or, or in this case, Victoria, what we're seeing now is harm being done to many citizens. But, yeah, in general, it, re- it reflects society. Yep.
0: Um, Matthew A&P McRobert, I'm not sure which one, A or P, uh, but A&P McRobert says on YouTube, the subject's a bit more biblically, biblically complex than you allow. There's a place for civil disobedience but there's also a place for obeying authorities during a pandemic, historically and theologically. I'm not sure if he's talking to me or or you, but um, um, I, I have no problem with what he said. What about you?
3: Yeah, look, I think the, there is a problem, though, in that we we a statement like this, I mean, thank you, a, McRob, A&P McRobb. that is good that you say that, but what kind of foundation is behind that? I mean, the introduction by David tonight was... It was the Lockean idea of natural justice and natural rights that they pre-exist governments, and governments don't bestow those upon us. But if you think about uh, the idea of Christians obeying a government, it's we have um, in Nazi Germany, there was literally the pulpit was used uh, to turn people to support the government. They used those verses in the Bible about being subject to the authorities that rule over you because no authority is there but from God. Uh, And so the question becomes, are we just uh, comfortable in our circumstance or do we actually have concrete uh, foundations behind what we believe in terms of obeying the government or civil disobedience? And I'm not seeing that even from a good comment like that or from a lot of Christians, uh, apologists, no one for me has really cemented uh, what we should be doing and whether a Christian should be speaking up. And so I've often had to leave my faith behind in a way and be more informed by my political understandings and my libertarian understandings and my Lockean understandings uh, of history and the rise of government and so on. So I don't know. Yep.
0: Okay. Let's uh, bring um, Ellie in. Ellie, what are your thoughts on things said so far and maybe just in general?
1: Well, for one, I just realised that I have a slight Dutch angle going on, so you guys aren't drinking, and my camera is slightly crooked. <laughs> um, look, it's a bit strange to be the uh, secular humanist or the irreligious person on the podcast, but I did grow up in a, a Protestant school. Protestant, I think so. I get the the denominations confused, but ba- I Anglican. I was Anglican, um, but
0: the original I, Protestant. I,
1: uh, See, I don't know the difference between them. I definitely sat in chapel and I was not allowed to speak in chapel. Actually, I'm not
0: sure if I got that chronologically right, Bernie, but it doesn't really <laughs> matter. King King Henry uh, certainly was uh, uh, making up his own rules um, and so wanted out. Re- so
1: That I respected. He, he knew what he wanted to do and he found a way to do it. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but basically my view of politics and religion has always been that I recognise that religion shapes a civilization. It's crucially important to... Uh, the morality and life of many people inside that civilization. So long as it stays out of politics, I'm very much a, a Western civilization, enlightenment, uh, keep the church and the state separate. As long as that happens, And I believe that the freedom should be protected and that they certainly, in your intro, you, you noted that Daniel Andrews is discriminating against certain people in their ability to worship during COVID 19. I disagree with any sort of discrimination in that. Uh, in that way that we've seen propping up across all of Australia in this new COVID world. So I find yep. that quite disturbing. And I've written as well on the new Religious Discrimination Bill how that's actually bringing discrimination back into the game, often against religious people. So I yeah, sort of try a, to argue for the liberty of everybody, including religious faiths.
0: That's a, a good article. And uh, Ellie Milley is um, one of the uh, great writers on The Good Source. Um, her article about religious discrimination can be seen there. And uh, with a little bit of luck, we uh, may be producing her first podcast um, coming soon to The Good Source. Yes, now, tell you. me um, your, your idea of separation of church and state. Um, and, and I'd really value your contrary voice on, on uh-huh. the show. Um, because there will be a lot of people listening who share your ideas. And and so it's good to interrogate my ideas and and each other's. Um, Do you... I guess I'm going to start with the absurd and then we can walk our way back to where you think that separation actually takes place. Um, So starting with the absurd, I expect this is rhetorical. Do you think Christians should vote?
1: Well, Obviously. I can clean and it up and do you think
0: they should lobby and articulate and campaign for the issues and candidates that they are free to vote for
1: well any group is free to do that be they unionists religions philosophies
0: do you think one... do you think that um christians who are free to vote and free to lobby and campaign for their policies pr- preferred policies or politicians, should be able to politically organise and cooperate and even fundraise um, to support those issues and policies um, uh, politically.
1: Sure. Let me clean it up for you because it might be easier this way. Um, I don't think a law should be passed that provides either advantage or disadvantage to somebody based upon their faith. Laws should be created for all citizens and treat them equally, always under the law so that would be interesting. the last time i got in trouble with this was to do with uh catholic confession where if someone was aware of a crime about to take place then an ordinary citizen would become a complicit to that crime if they didn't notify anybody and that would be an offense whereas priests were allowed not to notify somebody of that happening i know that law has been changed depending on the circumstance now but that didn't used to be the case so that would be, and doctors also are no longer protected from that privilege. If they know immediate harm to someone who's not yet been harmed, they have to notify authorities. So that is an example of uh, a protection that used to exist that I would not agree with as far as religion in politics, if that helps to... That,
0: that is be. that is a huge can of worms in in itself. Bernie, no, no, let's no. bring... Uh, clarify. Say, say again?
1: Just to clarify where I stand on that kind of equality under the law. Idea.
0: Right, so... so you, what I'm hearing is your basic. It sounds very similar to what I believe. That you you don't actually think Christians should sit down, shut up, and have no opinion or influence um, on elections.
1: No, I, I don't think they should be excluded. From,
0: I, I think from the... well, I, th- I think that's the typical understanding of the separation of church and state. Is is that Christians effectively um, and churches denominationally and and on whatever macro scale you like. Um, If you disagree or agree on the definition of separation of church and state, um, let's hear your thoughts uh, in the comments section on on how you think church should be separate from politics um, and and should we campaign. Uh, Let's let's put it to maybe a pointy test. Should Christians be allowed to campaign on issues of moral conscience, such as abortion and euthanasia and the definition of marriage? um we look forward to he- seeing what you think the viewers in the comments section bernie let's bring you in here um if uh yeah you're a devout catholic um very faithful um to the catechisms and teaching of the roman catholic church um, well, i
2: try to be dave i try to be
0: we all try our best and and uh by god's grace do a little bit better every day um i i it's it's worth pointing out that um Christianity is a journey, uh, not a holy club. But um, <laughs> what do you think on, on this topic and, and maybe some of the thoughts that Ellie's particularly um, articulated?
2: Yeah, you know, I think we've covered a huge, huge um, area of ground and a large number of topics. I just want to talk about COVID and churches for a second. Uh it, You know, just in my dealings with uh, people across society, not just in church, but just at footy clubs and in uh, friendships and in business and across society, people are over the lockdowns. They're they're sick of them. Uh, And one of the biggest reasons they're sick of them is because there are blatant hypocrisies in relation to the decisions governments have made. So, for instance, in Queensland, uh, you couldn't dance at a wedding, but there was a COVID-safe industry plan for brothels and sex parties. So... That makes no sense. Um, and when you have things like that in relation to government decisions about COVID, the whole thing just becomes an insane, uh, an insanity, and it, it makes no sense. But Australians, I've got to say, and I'm very sad to say this, I think have become just completely compliant and mm. in general have no capability or intent when it comes to uh, criticising governments or taking action to overturn these, these insane decisions. Now, I, I think churches in particular have been discriminated against in the relation to what they can and can't do. Uh, I think the church leaders by and large, I'm going to talk especially about Catholic leaders here, are uh, some of the most compliant people in Australia. They very rarely will they say anything about government except when it comes to climate change and refugees. Uh, which is really um, not a black and white moral issue in relation to Catholic teaching. And they all seem to be on board with this pandemic, which as every day goes by is clearly uh, nowhere near as dangerous as what was first predicted. And I think one of the the reasons for that is that essentially the Catholic Church and a lot of Christian organisations, people talk about separation of church and state, which is what we're getting into, but the Catholic Church in many ways has become part of the state's uh, it is largely funded uh, in its schooling systems uh, by state government taxes. And I think bishops have become so bureaucratic in their mindset about securing more government funding that they have just decided that they won't criticise government at all because
0: it might jeopardise that. And I think that's a massive problem. So um, any, any thoughts on that, Ellie, before we uh, try and maybe move on a little?
1: Uh, Well, there were some comments running down below about the separation of church and state, which was about how originally it was meant to keep the affairs of of politics out of uh, the state, out of the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you you were to ask normal people on the street in Australia or in the UK, our our birthplace of our, our laws, they would not interpret it that way. I think in the modern world, the understanding of most citizens is that... Politics is politics. Everyone's safest if religion and politics keep their distance from each other because they are both very powerful uh, organizations and they've been historically embroiled in a lot of things together and separately. And we've found a a safer medium where there's a bit of freedom and and Mm. just a little gap between the two of them, where they're neither, you know, they're not influencing each other too much beyond what you've just said, which is some uh, gaining political traction, which I haven't followed very closely for
0: obvious reasons, but I found it very interesting. Um, Matthew, do you think the popular, uh, modern uh, understanding of of church and state um, is something that we should take as the definition of of good policy, which may have been, um, I believe it was initiated, uh, first coined phrase by Thomas Jefferson um, who may have meant the complete opposite? Um, which do you think is? Is uh, do, do you think there's a need for education, or do you think there's a need to adopt the the popular um, definition?
3: I think we've largely achieved a separation of church and state, except for the issues like Bernie raises, such as the schooling and Catholic Church funding and so on. But that's more of a civic issue than a religious issue. Uh, the separation is very important to me, and that's one of the one of the things I like about the church that I go to. I, I really don't like the typical christian uh, approach of let's get christians into parliament so that they can make christian styled um, laws and, and and sort of bring heaven to earth i don't like i don't buy it it smells of the same totalitarian controlling spirit if you will or sense or or motivation as others with more nefarious motives so i, I believe in the people a lot more than i do in a righteous king you can put it that way uh, and even biblically so i mean we saw that what happens with um israel begging for a king and they got it and it didn't work so well and and here we are so which I god warned them best... about exactly <laughs> he we... said hey well, the... don't
0: do government <laughs> just just you... just listen exactly. to me and we'll be okay
3: and, and we didn't and here we are uh so look i i, I like the idea of uh democracy being the, the best um the best of a bunch of rubbish systems that we've found so far and I don't like it when Christians are saying we just need a strong Christian to come in and rule the world or rule the country. That's, I, I'm really scared by that. I don't like that at all. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I agree um, that uh, democracy is probably the best of uh, all the bad systems. Um, but whether de- one of the things I espouse is God doesn't care um, what system we use of government. Um, anything in between him and us is is probably second best in his mind. But um what what he wants is is simply uh, justice um, in in government, and it doesn't matter what that what that looks like. And and certainly it shouldn't be about the collection of power for power's sake. It should be about an opportunity to promote justice and look after other people, not ourselves. Um, there's some pretty good verses um, in in Proverbs which essentially talk about pork barreling without using that exact uh, phrase. Um, you, you don't take bribes to pervert justice for yourself, you you be honest and, and look after everyone else. Well, let's uh, move on to a great little um, video which has been made by Cherish Life. Let's see if I can bring that up nice and easy. Um, add to stream. There we go. And...
1: In 2018, the Queensland Labor government cheered
2: and celebrated their accomplishment legalizing abortion up to birth
1: for any reason even late-term healthy babies of healthy mothers can now be aborted only six percent of queenslanders agree with abortion up to birth but labor still rammed through its extreme law this election
0: put labor last That's uh, the ad uh, labourlastqld.org.au. Uh, sorry, let me get that right. I just said that very wrong. labourlast.org.au. Um, so that's uh, the great work of Cherish Life um, Queensland, the voice of Tish and Johnson. Um, and at the last election, uh, it was all but a foregone conclusion and a um, highly predictable certainty. That a re-elected, Palace Labor government would um, put a bit of uh, lime whitewash over the top of uh, the really bad trad, pine abortion bills, and indeed they were they were legalized. Um, and uh, l- let me uh, now bring up a- another video, um, which was a month ago, on um, on this show. Back to abortion, the language about we're going to review policies could be perceived by some uh, more sceptical people as perhaps a little bit slippery with lots of wiggle room for nothing to happen. Um, and, and certainly, um, while credit for good intentions is is due, we've seen plenty of conservative governments fail to wind back uh, really, really Bad abortion laws, and Victorian government is probably a perfect example. Not that uh, anybody in the Queensland Parliament or, or parties are responsible for what goes on in Victoria at all. Um, I guess I'm wanting some some reassurance, some confirmation for those people who are a little bit sceptical that that language uh, is got some wiggle room in it uh, about reviews. Can can you detail what the goals of those reviews would be? Is there a a fundamental uh, position and philosophy in the LNP parliamentary party that the current laws are actually toxic, abusive, dangerous, and as a matter of urgency need to be changed and remedied uh, in the next term of parliament? Here's the words to listen to: What the actual details look like. So, Dave, I would
1: say it's
2: it's an ironclad guarantee. I think there is wide acceptance and understanding, most importantly, that these laws that Labor has introduced uh, are draconian. Uh, they're certainly not in the best interests or welfare of, of women, um, and that there are many fundamental uh, flawed aspects. When it-
0: so, uh, following that uh, interview on Palo Talk Live a month ago, episode 26, with uh Queensland front bench, front bencher, Dr. Christian Rowan, uh, the guardian, um, our favorite rag over here at, uh, the good source. Um, wrote this article just a couple of days ago. Queensland election, LNP tries to keep anti-abortion push out of sight. Deb Frecklington seeks broad support in a state that backs abortion rights, but some LNP MPs and poll candidates are pressing for a more divisive approach because uh, not killing babies is divisive. At a campaign stop this week, the Queensland opposition leader, Deb Frecklington, was asked about the Liberal National Party's policy to review the state's abortion laws. She quickly changed the subject. (gasps) I haven't got the details of that yet. It's not a priority, Frecklington said. Last month, an LNP frontbencher, Christian Rowan, told an audience of right-wing Christians a very different story. I think that's meant to be pejorative, uh, being right of centre. And, oh, Christian, that's a bad thing. Rowan gave the host of an obscure online chat show, We're Obscure, um, an, quote, ironclad guarantee, end quote, the LNP would wind back elements of Queensland's termination of pregnancy laws passed in 2018, which removed abortion from the 119-year-old criminal code. Uh, And and he goes on and on and on. In the video of Rowan's interview, viewed 400 times on YouTube, but 10,000 on Facebook since the 22nd of September. Very sensitive about these things, okay? The interviewer expressed his concern that the LNP's promise to conduct a review into certain aspects of the 2018 law included gestation, Limits used language that's perhaps a little bit slippery, lots of wriggle room for nothing to happen. Uh, and um, I asked the front bencher for some uh, reassurance. Is there a fundamental position of philosophy within the LNP Parliamentary Party? Now, the reason I clarify Parliamentary Party is because the LNP state conference is overwhelmingly pro-life. If the MPs represent uh, their own party members to any degree they also have to be overwhelmingly pro-life. So Rowan, sitting in front of two framed photographs of Queen Elizabeth, uh, (laughs) apparently my photo of Queen Elizabeth wasn't worth mentioning, um, responded, he would say, it's an ironclad guarantee. So uh, we're we're seeing this now as a a problem. Um, The Guardian is trying to wedge... LNP politicians um, between each other and uh, perhaps pretend that it's not in the article. He also goes on to say that uh, oh, right at the beginning, actually, what did he say? Let's um, go back up uh, right at the top. There we go. We'll add that. In a state that backs abortion, abortion rights, uh, a, a euphemism for killing babies. Um, there is no right to kill anybody. Uh, in a state that backs abortion. Now, we saw the statistic in that video from Cherish Life. Uh, Very slippery language here again. If you ask Queenslanders, should abortion be criminalised, most Queenslanders would say no. Um, That is the fact. If you ask Queenslanders, uh, should abortion up to birth for any reason be legal, again, you saw the statistic. When you ask a proper question, Uh, as is the law now in Queensland, only 6% support that kind of extreme law. Uh, And there's some debate that, uh, you know, a 2018 fact check from ABC, um, which is as reliable as a Melbourne weather prediction, um, this fact check claimed that uh, the up-to-birth detail is, in fact, wrong. Uh, But it is, in fact, in the legislation that uh, with a second doctor's concurrence, Uh, which is incredibly easy to get. The second doctor doesn't have to consult with the patient. The second doctor just has to consult with the doctor who wants to perform the abortion. And that can be via email or telephone. doesn't have to be in the same room at all. With that second doctor, any reason up to full-term abortions are happening, uh, which includes psychosocial reasons. Um, Well, that's the the state of of abortion uh, in Queensland right now, and the LNP has indicated that they will... Uh, look at some of the extreme parts of this legislation and introduce some sensible amendments to protect women, uh, you know, screen for domestic violence style coercion for unwanted abortions, Uh, and um, perhaps another amendment might be the mandating of independent counselling instead of counselling offered by somebody who only gets paid when the abortion is actually completed. Uh, Bernie, uh, Queenslanders, and uh, seeing we're talking about it, Queensland churches, taking the issue of abortion seriously enough in in this state election. The Guardian seems to think it's uh, worth interfering in and uh, raising the issue.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, Dave, look, Anastasia Palaszczuk uh, should be known as the baby killer because she has legalised abortion up until birth. And the sad thing really about Anastasia Palaszczuk. As I understand, she used to be pro-life. So what she has done is legalised abortion up until a child is born. And in fact, we know in Queensland children are killed because they actually survive abortions uh, and they are killed. It's it's a terrible thing after birth. So she should be known as the baby killer. Uh, she has done it because she wants to keep her job and she wants to keep Jackie Trad on side that's why she's done it she's done it for purely political reasons now the churches I don't think have really taken this seriously at all in fact they've been played completely for fools uh, Archbishop Coleridge for instance uh, is not very good as a bishop he's the Archbishop of Brisbane and he's even worse as a politician uh, he tried to put out some statement just before the abortion laws were legalized uh, uh just a couple of days before that legalised, he actually said live on camera that he does not oppose decriminalisation of abortion. It was a terrible thing to say, uh, but he did it because he's trying to be a politician and it's a very bad one. And we've just seen it again this week. He's been completely played because he's been completely somehow surprised that Anastasia Palaszczuk and Jackie Tratt are now supporting euthanasia laws. I mean, the, the guy just needs to come out and do his job, I and mean, that would be to expel Anastasia Palaszczuk and Jackie Trad from the Catholic Church. Um, he won't do that because he's, he's too afraid to do it. Um, and, in fact, we talk about separation of church and state. He, he's actually allowing politicians to dictate what he does as the, the primary Catholic bishop in Queensland. Uh, and I've got to say also, uh, I think you asked a very good question uh, to Dr Christian Rowan and I know Dr Christian Rowan is a very good man and I I believe what he says he believes but I don't believe what he says because I just don't believe the LNP as a collective parliamentary body are going to do anything about it if they get elected uh, because there are too many LNP MPs who are... Uh, useless conservatives, they fight like losers and they don't don't want to touch these issues. And I would say that is one reason why not just Christians but people who believe that life should be protected do need to organise themselves, they do need to get involved in politics and they do need to try and get people elected to parliament because at the moment the people who want to kill babies are doing a much better job at it than us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it, it is... I think it's it's fair to say uh, the LNP do fight like losers. Um, they're not waging a fierce campaign on any topic at all, except for maybe climate change, a topic which every person who votes on that will never vote for the LNP on that. Ellie, um, as the only female on the panel, we definitely have to give you a, a voice on the topic of abortion. Um, but I'm also interested in where you think perhaps it it should be legal um, at at certain times.
1: Well, first of all, clarity is what the LNP lack just on that previous topic. They refuse to make a stand of what they believe or don't believe in any of these issues, and that it doesn't bode well for them in the election. Uh, As Mm -hmm. for abortion, my views line up to the majority of women, both in my age and my mother's generation, whom I speak to, And obviously coming from an all-girls school, I know quite a a lot of women. So it seems Mm -hmm. to be a pretty standard. And even from a religious school, it seems to be pretty standard. Uh, Most people agree that you can't force women to have children they don't want to have. You may wish to, but you can't do it. Even in the most tyrannous Islamic regimes where the punishment is death, women still find a way. So the law knows this. And so the law over time has decided to uh, leave... uh, leeway and choice on this very personal issue because it cannot come to an agreement uh, that satisfies the majority. So my belief personally is that abortion should be legal but encouraged as early as possible as soon as someone knows they're pregnant. I am uncomfortable beyond two months but probably legally three months would be more acceptable because some women do not know they're pregnant at that stage. Three months is pretty reasonable that you should know that you're pregnant and have have decided whether you, you want to have a child or not. I also believe that should the life of the mother be threatened, she should have the right to abort to save herself because she is the human being who already exists. It should be her choice. Um, if at any point a child is... Born Man, this I'm, I'm trying so hard to not interrupt you. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. <laughs> if a child is born, that child should be attended to and cared for to survive. So I completely disagree with this idea that there are children being born who are then killed. That is wrong once you're in the world I believe that's it you're in the world you've made it you now get to to live um, as for uh, whether women seem to celebrate it in the Democratic and the in the labor movements they celebrate abortion I, I really don't agree with that I think it's a, a tragic part of humanity that we endure and we should discourage but it should be legal uh, and all, all the other small uh, one, if the child has serious defects, it should be the mother's choice to abort that child if they're going to basically suffer and die. Um, that would be my other uh, exclusion to that. But basically, as early as possible, um, and not to particularly encourage it, it's just more of a fact of life that we don't like. Does that sort of and that would really be very the, much the consensus view. It's not. It's not in any way a minority view. It's a, It's more of a consensus.
0: Trying to think of the first thing is I should have taken notes. There's a couple of I've got three or four little notes that I've been making, trying to let you uh, let you get it out. Um, while I you try and think of, say again,
1: you can ask me anything you want on that. It's fine. <laughs>
0: um, uh, I, I will, but uh, I want to hear from Matthew first. Uh, and um, Vesna uh, agreed with you uh, in comments. Uh, I just put it up before, but we'll pop it up again. Um, we certainly don't hate disagreement here. Uh, the right to abortion is every woman's basic human right and personal decision. That right will always be exercised, whether legally or illegally. Oh, that's what it was, force to have a child. Just making a note. Matthew, do you want to uh, weigh in on this?
3: Not really. Uh, it's abortion after all, but uh, I mostly agree with Ali. Uh, there is a misunderstanding on both sides, even with the comment that we just had up. Yes, it makes sense that uh, women should have that right and blah, 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 but you got to keep in mind, even from a libertarian perspective, which says women have uh, agency and autonomy over their bodies, there's still things like the non-aggression principle and the greatest minds struggle with this: where do the rights of the baby start and end and the mother start and end and is the baby in the world when it comes out and then, yay, you can live or is the baby in the world when it's in the womb? So I, I, I tend to take a realist approach and I agree with Ali that the consensus is in our world, whether we like it or not, that around that... Early mark, she mentioned up to three months or so 12 weeks or so. From what I've seen from the most popular people, even from Joe Rogan type people, they all agree around the 16 week mark uh, and they're leftist. Sorry, Ellie?
1: 12 is better. Like I prefer earlier than later. Most people I speak yeah. to would rather it earlier than that. 16 is quite a fair way through.
3: Right. So, but the point being that most people choose a number of weeks and they go with that whether it be 12, 14, 16, and un- unfortunately that's the reality of, of the world we live in. I'm not sure making anti-abortion laws, I'm not sure how effective that will be. We'll get onto this into the next section when we talk about culture being upstream yeah. of politics.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, um, we won't spend forever on this because uh, we really could and I've certainly ri- written and said plenty uh, about it, but, um, so if the first bit of language that I thought was tricky and, and misleading, honestly, uh, was the concept of someone being forced to have a child. Um, if that, that's essentially rape, um, the, the forced act of, of sexual um, intercourse. Once you conceive, you have a child. Um, its location may be a few inches away from where you can see it and interact with it. But um, this is a, a matter of basic biology. Um, really, really comprehensive, good research, gold standard research on this has been done, and and uh, the vast majority of uh, a randomised um, American population suggested that biologists were the most qualified people out of a whole bunch of suggestions, including church ministers and Supreme Court justices and and, and different um, suggestions. They they elected biologists. As the most qualified people to determine when human life begins, uh, it's a scientific question, not a philosophical question. Um, it's, it's just basic. It's very fundamental. Uh, now, so biologists,
1: like so, I don't. I often I often hear that that um, I actually don't debate the fact of life being started. A lot of people who women. Who well, let me about- let me just
0: finish this because it is super super important. Um, the whole, uh, something like 5,000, 5,500 biologists from over 1,000 different um, tertiary institutions, universities around the world, including Ivy League ones uh, in, in England and America, um, from 86 different nations were again surveyed. And uh, 95% of them, or was it 96, 96% of biologists surveyed, agreed that human life, every human life, begins at fertilisation. Um, that's not when the moment the egg implants in the womb, which some people confuse as conception, it's, it's the actual moment um, when uh, a new life, new DNA is begun. That's the newest member of the uh, human species. Now, something, I think we all agree uh, on that, David. I think all four Well, of us agree it's on important that. to, you know, uh, other research shows that there's a very large amount of people who don't understand that. So it actually bears uh, clearly articulating Um, for the audience's benefit, if not everybody here. Um, Another piece of language you used, Ellie, I don't know if you did it deliberately or or accidentally, but you said um, in a matter of life-saving emergency. Now, no dispute about that. Um, Mother's life should always be safe. But you used the phrase, the human being which already exists. Um, Now, that, again, is scientific language. Um, The human being is a species. And that new individual was started at fertilisation. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, certainly, if, if you're going to reduce it to a philosophical term, and, and I've debated abortion apologists um, who, who insist it, it's scientifically unknowable um, and they want to debate the philosophy of it, if we're going to do that, surely we have to give the benefit of any debate to caution. Uh, feel free to respond to that, Ellie.
1: So uh, what I was going to say before is I've never met a woman who doesn't believe that their fetus is alive at all. They all know that it's life. <clears throat> but the ability to choose whether or not you decide to bring that to term still is overwhelmingly decided to be with the mother's choice that if they want to continue with that birth. So people understand that and they choose, the, the prevailing logic is yes we get that. We still give women the choice as to whether or not they want to continue with that. So the, it's not that they misunderstand it. That is the choice that is being made morally, whether you agree with it or not, it's being made by women across the world through all of time. Uh, as far as where I draw lines and the law draws lines, it used to always be once a child had entered the world as in it was physically free of the women out in the world. Because yep. nature doesn't, like not every fetus and the majority of fetuses through which are fertilisers don't actually make it to the world. Women lose their children before they even know they have them all the time. So we know that once a child is born, that child can legally be defined as a human being, congratulations, you have made it into the world with the rest of us, which is why I define the woman who is already living as having the predominant choice over whether or not they survive if under the law. So a woman can say to the doctor, save my child, not me. That's her choice to give up that right and to do that. But as far as existing law, I will always preference the person who is already alive and in the world that's just where I draw the line that's why I say if a child is tried to be aborted and survives or was um the mother had life-saving surgery and it was it still made it out of the womb that's why I say well that child now must be protected because it's made it outside so that's why I draw my line so securely there and I think Mm -hmm. nature has drawn that line for thousands and thousands of years once you know if the mother died the child died too right so if the child didn't make out of the womb, that child would die so that's why I that, why uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Not.
0: That's a terrible argument. No, it's <laughs> that not a that terrible argument. natural that natural reality. deaths that natural deaths occur is not disputed. That it justifies uh, artificial interference in the termination I of someone that else's life, uh, I think, is is uh, absurd um, extrapolation. You,
1: term, you would think differently.
0: It, it's like um, uh, tsunamis happen, so we have the right to drown people. Um, no, what, it doesn't follow.
1: It's not like mothers escape with no harm. It's not a no harm cause. So, uh, the risk and permanent life-altering changes to a woman, uh. not just. You may not like it, but this is what happens to women, and that is why they should be at to make this choice. I encourage it to be... It's it's liberal- just another
0: terrible argument. Um, the the fatality risk, physical risk physical. of having a baby in Australia is equivalent to that of getting in a car and going to the shops, getting some milk and coming home. Yes, and some people die doing that. It doesn't justify homicide.
1: A 65% permanent... Killing... So taking not- someone.
0: Taking someone's life is a permanent, life-altering decision as well.
1: And so we have decided, as a culture, forever that women choose not to carry children to term, and you can't yeah. force them. We know you can't. We no. <laughs> okay, James, I, I'd like to jump
2: in for a second. We, I've we just will um,
0: just just to moderate for the sake of um, moving on to the the next topic, which will also be a fun and contentious issue, um, uh, although very serious. I don't mean to make light of these very serious issues. Um, Bernard's going to get the final comment on this and then we're going to move on to euthanasia.
2: I just want to thank Ellie for her honesty, actually, because uh, she she stated that women know that it's a child. Um, and I think that's, that, that is really amazing honesty because a lot of people try to deny that fact. Um, but, you know, that doesn't make... It better. I think it makes it far, far worse. Uh, and, and to hear Ali and Matthew, I think, talk about human rights when we're talking about actually killing a person, I think that says a lot more about the human rights industry uh, in Australia and across the Western world at the moment than it does about abortion. I think, I think this what a terrible state that industry is in. Uh, but I'll just finish with this point. Like, if abortion is illegal, of course some women will choose to have an abortion anyway, um, to use that as an argument that it shouldn't be illegal, well, if you're going to follow that principle, you would get rid of laws regarding fraud, you would get rid of speed limits on the road, you get rid of the murder because murder's been illegal for a very, very long time and pretty much every time you turn the news on, there's a story about it. Just because something occurs after it's made illegal uh, there's not is not any argument to say that the law should be removed. It doesn't make any sense at all.
1: Can I make an argument that Jonathan Jonathan Sumption makes? Uh, He's a a high court judge in the UK, or he was, and he's a specialty on law. He points out that there are some laws in our systems which are insufficient to solve a moral issue which a civilization has, at which point a law usually steps back and allows individuals to make choices. And the reason abortion is such a... An enduring problem of human civilization is because not, not like murder where um it's a more of a rarity like the chances that any of us on this panel are going to murder someone it's very low but women get pregnant all the time and they've ha- and it happens in their whole life the potential for that so it's a problem that they encounter continuously in civilization and it's something that as many as you gentlemen are well spoken and i am very uh, interested in your perspectives you will never understand what it is to be a woman with a child deciding whether or not you're going to bring that child to term, which is, I think, why the law has stepped back and gone, we know we can't solve this problem legally. We'll let churches determine what they want to say in their church. We'll let women decide within reason. That's why I say it's better to, and most women agree that the earlier the better because they know it's not a great solution. It's it's just one of uh, civilization's unfortunate Uh, best of a bad outcome that we have no one's saying it's a great solution but it deals with the reality of what goes on with women uh, the choices they have to make as mothers or potential mothers and whether or not they can actually carry that child to term and look after that uh, child and they've been making those decisions for thousands of years and there's nothing that no one can compel a woman to have a child who doesn't want to have one no matter what you say you cannot compel them and so the law, instead of trying to cause more harm and having children being killed after they're born uh, by women who didn't want them, they say, well, look, we know it's not great, but we'd rather that not happen. We'd rather that terrible uh, thing that happens to women in countries where it's illegal, we don't want that. We'd rather have this option over here. And by all means, discourage it, but I don't think you can make it illegal. Oh, and the LAVO well, I... thing in Queensland is a terrible law, just to be clear. That is a terrible law to birth. I think we can all agree that the Liberal Party should be pushing Anastasia Palaszczuk on that.
0: I think um, some of the debate around abortion um, from people on on my side, historically, I think it's been a lot more sophisticated for a long time, but historically it's been fairly blunt and and fairly um, unhelpful um, in in this black and white conversation. I, I think... At the same time, not instead of, but at the same time as uh, opposing the human rights anti-science violation of taking another living human life um, electively, um, we should be proactively looking to solve the triggers that are within our power without requiring legislation. Something like 70% of women who make an abortion choice uh, say they would have made a different choice if they felt like there was just one significant person in their life who supported them. We, we can make that happen. We can solve that. We can immediately reduce 70% of uh, the very tragic, as, as Ellie conceded, abortions that happen um, simply by being the solution ourselves. Now, again, I stipulate not instead of um, opposing this human rights violation, um, but uh, I mean, this is a, a non-religious. Uh, there's there's plenty of, of non-religious people who take this line, and and certainly the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights is very black and white about it as well. Uh, in the same year, the World Medical Association at the Geneva Convention uh, conference um, agreed that the physicians' oath needed updating because of the atrocities of of pre-World War II, America and Germany in um, the kind of medical experiments that were being conducted. And and so universally, they all agreed on a bunch of tenets, including the physician's oath, which included the protection of life from conception. That was the language they used in 1948. And uh, a few months later, they came up with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which acknowledging human life already began at fertilisation, conception. um, They said, these rights... Uh, afforded to uh, all members of the human family. Um, so that was not the exclusive domain of, of people post-birth. But, again, we need to be very sophisticated about this and not um, blunt with the only tool in our arsenal of legislation. We need to be saying, how do we care for women? How do we promote motherhood? How do we um, uh, make it so that it's no longer true um, that women making an abortion choice feel they have um, no other choice. Um, political posting.
1: Thought, <clears throat> one thing I've thought about, the reason that a lot of women I know have their children aborted is because they can't afford them. So one of the Yeah, things we, things can we can solve that. Is the amount of cost to raise a child. It's too expensive to have children in Australia. Yep. And that's why our birth rate is going down, not because women don't want children, because it's too hard to get enough money together to support them. So that would be a great way yep. to bring down the rate of abortion, if yeah. that helps.
0: No, very good. Let's um, let's move on to another easy topic. Um, uh, look, uh, actually, I, I do want to say this. Uh, it, it probably should be said as a preface, but I'll certainly say it better late than never. Um, if you've made an abortion choice, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm not being patronising. Um, I just wish the best for you, and I'm not here to condemn you or judge you, and I'm sure nobody else is either. And, and if they are, well, I've I've got harsher things to say about them as well. But um, if you need counselling with that, please just Google abortion grief counselling. There are plenty of places that will offer you professional, confidential, judgement-free um, and cost-free counselling to help you um, recover from, from that. Um, Priceless House is a great one. Uh, Diamond Women's Agency, I think, is another one. Uh, I wish I knew them all, but there, there is plenty of help f- um, for that. Um, anyway, let's talk about um, Anastasia Palaszczuk's announcement this Sunday that uh, she wants to introduce another way to help kill people um, in Australia, this time at the other end of their natural life, and that is by introducing what they will variously euphemistically refer to in other ways, uh, but it's the topic of abortion. Um, why don't we start with our contrarians, um, Matthew? Uh, your position? Did I just say abortion?
3: Yeah, euthanasia,
1: right?
0: It's euthanasia. Okay, euthanasia. Uh, you can you can tell I've got as much time for sleep as I do for shaving. Um, so, uh, euthanasia, Matthew. Your views on on the state's role in legalizing the taking of another person's life at um, at the other end.
3: Well, that's a bit loaded even the way that you've said it, right? The state taking a life. What if the person wants to take their own life? Like, should suicide be illegal?
0: Uh, well, um, what do you think?
3: Well, I don't see how in its purest form euthanasia is different from suicide. And taking the, uh, the libertarian view... We're not actually harming anyone in this sense, except your own self. Which I think I think it's evil. Suicide is evil, in my opinion. I've struggled with it, and I think it was terrible. I'm glad I, I don't anymore. I think abortion, at its root, is evil as well. I think it's you've killing the lady, with, But
0: sorry, you've, you've struggled with the topic or with the the thought sui- yourself.
3: Yeah, planning suicide in my own for my own life. Yeah, mm. and I think it's evil. and It's horrible. I'm sorry, you but went at through the same that. time Yeah, it sucked, but I'm okay now. But the point is, I'm not sure that that the state has has any right to to talk to me about whether that's right or wrong. or and I'm not sure how euthanasia is much different in its purest form. So I'm talking about no coercion. I'm talking about the individual making a, a sane, rational decision. I'm not talking about they've lost their mind. I'm not talking about doctors making orders. So on, on the basic level, I take libertarian view. If you want to destroy your life, you can destroy your life. I will fight to try and prevent that from happening, but not by compelling you and coercing you.
0: But haven't you, haven't you introduced the state by going from a neutral position to the state signalling something's okay?
3: Yeah, so so that's why I say in its purest form of euthanasia, just a simple simple model which doesn't take into account all the externalities. Now, if you take the state where it it has a cultural uh, push where it can make something valid or whatever, or even in the sense that it can uh, empower doctors to take lives when they declare someone's not all with it or, or what have you. Uh, yeah, of course, we're getting messy now. But again, the libertarian principle of the state should shut the hell up. I believe in well, a small
0: state. Nicol Thomas says assisted suicide involves someone participating, which is murder. And I agree. There's, a, a, there's leagues between suicide and involving somebody else.
3: Yeah, look, if someone wants, even if you accepted my argument that if someone wants to die, it's their own body, they can do it, it's their own life, it's their own life. Even then, if that was correct and someone came and assisted that person because for whatever reason they couldn't pull it off themselves, I think that's completely wrong. And I think the tragedy is that per- person who wants to die and should have the right to die will have to suffer because no one should be able to come and, and, and assist you and, and smother you, and I, I don't believe in that at all.
0: So you're saying people shouldn't be able to assist you?
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there should be that at all. That assistance, no.
0: But isn't that what euthanasia is?
3: Well, this is what I. So I started with saying in, in its most pure form, and this is the problem. It doesn't exist in its pure form most of the time. It's usually incapacitation and assistance required. Yeah. Again, I just think we should go back to the state shutting the hell up. Well, why are we have to, why are we arguing over whether the state should endorse it or not or, or make it illegal well, or well, and you yeah, know,
0: because the policy put up as an election issue. Um, that's why yeah, we've got to shut- talk about. It. Um, well, they well, should shut
3: the hell up about it.
0: That, well, that happens at the ballot box and, and um, perhaps in, in the commentary as well. Um, we, I agree. We should shut them up. We should say, um, you murderous, death-obsessed cult of iniquity, um, go into electoral political obscurity and never darken the doors of Parliament again, um, in not so many words or maybe a whole lot more. But um, certainly for government to signal that death is therapy, and that doctors can kill, uh, I think, is a seismic, destructive shift in the tone of our culture and and society. Um, Bernard, um, let's go to you before we go to Ellie.
2: Well, I I just want to put a shout-out to Anastasia Palaszczuk and Jackie Trad, who is the architect, of the euthanasia push. I mean, what a fun bunch those two are. They've got into Parliament and they spent the first half of their term talking about abortion and now they're running an election campaign on euthanasia. I mean, really, who would want to be around these guys? <laughs> they seem obsessed with one thing. Um, look, there are all sorts of problems uh, with euthanasia. Uh, I think Matthew's right in his purest form, if you distill it down, it is exactly the same thing as suicide. Uh, I don't think suicide is ever an action that doesn't harm anybody else. Uh, I know mm. people. Uh, in fact, a very, very close space of mine and other people have committed suicide, um, and it is an action that harms other people. Um, mm. And I, you know, what, what goes through their mind. I think there's a whole question there about how society helps people deal with those. Issues. Um, I don't think when you look at it carefully that anyone would make that decision in a rational sense. They might think it's rational, but it's not.
0: Mm. Uh,
2: but one of the, the biggest problems with euthanasia is that, well, well, there are two issues. Again, in terms of a free choice, when you're talking about people who are in pain, lonely towards the end of their life, maybe. Suffering loneliness from their children or family, is is that really a decision that is made under you know coercive pressure, or is mm. it a free decision? And you only have to look at societies that have legalized euthanasia, so the Netherlands, which has seven thousand suicides a year, seven thousand euthanasia cases a year, is now looking at legalizing euthanasia for people under the age of twelve, and you know that. That is where Australia, Queensland, Victoria, Western Australia and the other states that are legalised are going to be in in 20 years' time. That's what happens. Uh, And I don't think that is a
0: place any sane person would
2: want their society to go.
0: We have a few people in the comments uh, talking about the Hippocratic Oath, um, cognitive dissonance, Hippocratic Oath on one side assisted suicide to the other. Um, Look, uh, for those people saying that, um, the Hippocratic Oath doesn't exist anymore. Doctors don't swear it. Uh, There's a physician's oath which was um, reintroduced in 1948 and it's been uh, modernised several times since then. Uh, The promise to protect life from fertilisation was removed a little while ago. And uh, the most recent version actually includes in a physician's duty care for the environment uh, and uh, and society and and so some of these arguments, for example, care for the environment, um, population control uh, could be caring for the environment in some of their arguments. So the physician's oath is is actually now just a relativistic piece of postmodern rubbish. Um, and uh, do no harm has long since passed uh, this past being the minimum bar for practicing health in in the country Um, so not really really relevant however we would still I think have a general concept um, that doctors are caregivers uh, and and not killers now. Ellie, uh, I know you're going to take a, a libertarian approach, and, and again, I appreciate having the debate because there's going to be lots of people who resonate with uh, with your thoughts and, and processes. So let me uh, get you to respond to, to these two simple points. I, I would reduce my appeal to politicians to these two facts. One, firstly, the number of people um, dying from unacceptable levels of suffering, I- I- unmanageable levels of suffering uh, at, the, at their end of life is roughly 3%, um, ac- according to the data. Uh, now, that 3% is largely, almost completely solvable with adequate funding of palliative care and adequate training of palliative care, which is to say... The vast majority of suffering currently being endured, um, the problem of which we're proposing euthanasia may be the solution, that problem is actually caused by inadequate funding and inadequate training. Um, so first proposition, wouldn't it be better to completely explore those less lethal solutions from government before we start authorising the uh, euthanizing of, of people who are afraid or experiencing suffering? Second point, there is no jurisdiction anywhere in the world ever which has successfully provided a safe legal framework for liberalising euthanasia. Every single jurisdiction, including the most recent one of Victoria, has had unintended casualties which no government could have sold if they took it to an election. Uh, This is the state uh, allowing people to be killed Um, who they said would have been excluded um, by the ambition, and I believe they they really tried, but it's impossible. Um, You cannot make safe legislation uh, which will not have unintended casualties um, when the state authorises doctors to kill people. Over to you. What do you... Can you hear me, Ellie? are you there it's your turn
1: sorry my internet's a little i don't know if it's you or me um never me the first thing i'd say is it's always worth uh, improving health particularly yeah can you hear me
0: yeah we can hear you now
1: can you hear me at all yeah hello can you hear me no
0: yes 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 Keep
1: seems going, like
2: a big delay no
0: We'll persist. It seems like you've just got a big delay. All right, we will uh, get her to reconnect and, and hopefully come back in. <laughs> nice eyebrow dance, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Matthew, do you want to? Uh, I guess speak to those two assertions I made. It's impossible to make it. Um, it's impossible to make it safe. It's never been done before, and, and I'd suggest it, it is impossible. Uh, let alone the slippery slope argument. Um,
3: we're, talk- and- yeah, we're, talking about, we're talking. about euthanasia, right? Yeah, uh, and I haven't got much to add. Look, I, I feel like I'm a bit a fish out of water here because I am I feel like uh, I'm trying to argue the point of uh, freedom and libertarianism and, and government, w- its role, and I feel like we're arguing about how far the government should go, what it should do, what it shouldn't do. I'm just a fan of it getting out in this case and letting the community and culture decide, and we're going to have a very rich tapestry of of differences of, of policy if it's the community deciding across the world. And I suspect yep. it might even be a better result than what we'd have if we ban abortion and ban euthanasia or pro-abortion and pro-euthanasia. I think this is setting us up for a big firefight, which I don't like the result of.
0: Ellie, uh, can you hear us okay now? We had like a 30-second delay before, but we can um, hear you now.
1: Sorry about that. Uh- Forgiven. In answer to your first question, oh, look, I've wrecked my camera doing that, Um, it's always worth uh, improving and investing in the medical uh, care of people, especially palliative care. I would never disagree with that. We should do that as a matter of course, regardless of the euthanasia debate. Secondly, I'd say that one of the fundamental rights of being alive is to choose when and how you choose to leave the world, that it's nobody else's decision but your own. Now, I'm going to add to that, I watched two grandparents uh, who were in perfect mind mentally, but uh, spent years uh, with terminal, extremely painful illnesses, begging doctors to kill them. They were perfectly aware of what was going on. They did not want to live. They had great care. So the care was not the problem. Their conditions were simply not treatable. Their pain was not manageable, no matter what you did to them. Um, And they had lost everything that made them alive and a human being. And they did not want to continue living. They were both over 90. And in the end, I'm pretty sure one of them had to starve themselves to death in order to leave the world at a time of their own choosing. Now, I think the moral, uh, is it more moral to allow someone to die or to force them to kill themselves in a painful and horrific manner if they're already suffering? I would argue that it's better to allow somebody the right to die, especially with strict conditions in situations like that, I think that is the kinder <clears throat> way to go with that policy. Now, I am in favor of euthanasia, but under very strict conditions. So I would argue that you have to have a terminal illness. You have to be assessed as in right mind and not just sort of okay, completely in right mind with a lawyer and a medical uh, practitioner. No one should be allowed to benefit or profit from your death. So you can't make an industry out of uh, uh, euthanasia. Um, an extremely high legal ramifications for anybody that is found to be using that system and I mean maximum sentences isn't the perfect solution no do I prefer it over literally thousands of people living the end of their life in great pain and terror against their will because they have no way of escaping they're often in care already so they're being kept alive medically despite wanting to die so I come down on that side of the argument I don't believe it should be available to children I think it should be a very much an end of life right, and under very strict conditions, with the view that it is an act of mercy, not an act of murder, and it must be done by that person.
0: I um, the problem I have with with what you've said. Well, first one, the right to die is a is a, a misnomer. Everybody has the right to die. In fact, uh, nobody can avoid it. It's it is inevitable. Um, the right that being fought for is the right to involve other people. In the unnatural termination of your life, um, and, and that's a very different kettle of fish, and, and that's why it's a lot nicer to say right to die, because involving somebody else in the unnatural premature termination of your life is is horrific. Um, secondly, you know the the very very good cogent arguments you make around strict protections um, are not original, and they've never worked. There's always been casualties. There's always been uh, scope creep. You, you yeah, might have this really well-principled parliament now, but once you open these doors, the next parliament can tweak them just a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit. And this is the lessons from history. We are incredibly foolish to ignore if, if, we, if, we, if we ignore uh, and, and we don't heed. Um, the, scope, the, the scope continually creeps on, on these things. Uh, and, and it is completely, um, well, frankly, naive and, and, and foolishly optimistic to think we could come up with a framework which will adequately protect those people who need protecting uh, from the unscrupulous actors. There's plenty of experience. Uh, as much as you can come up with uh, emotional, heart-tugging anecdotes of, of people who've had horrible deaths, I can provide you uh, just as many anecdotes of people who've died uh, horrible, unnatural deaths at the hands of, of liberalised euthanasia, um, I- including grannies having to be held down by their families while they're given lethal injections against their will. Uh, and we can say we'll come up with laws to protect against this and there should be harsh penalties when that happens. And, and in that particular real example that I know of, um, that particular nurse or doctor who implemented that lethal injection um, didn't face any. I mean, she faced it, she faced scrutiny. It was found she'd broken the law, uh, that that she'd broken the the guidelines and everything else like this. But again, we've signaled to society that uh, that this is okay, and this industry and this right needs to be protected. And there then becomes a vested interest in protecting that industry, just like we see in abortion. Why is it that abortionists provide abortion counselling? They only get paid when there's a successful, uh, sorry, a completed outcome, a successful transaction for them. Uh, If you, though, dare argue that independent counselling should be mandatory, we don't even see adequate legislation for that because the suggestion that enforcing these wise, careful protections is... Anti-choice, um, you're going to get the same vested demagogues manipulating people's emotions uh, with with this kind of of topic as well.
1: Can I pull you up on two points there? Just Please. to write a reply. Uh, the first would be your do no harm. Well, in allowing, like you're saying, well, it can be there can be mission creep and some things do go wrong and some people uh, fall victim to uh, euthanasia rules. But we know for a fact that thousands of people. Who want to die, die in misery with prolonged lives that they do not want. So we know that doing nothing does actually cause uh, extreme harm and people do suffer and endure needlessly uh, because of prohibiting. That's not lives. true. Just wait. Just that, wait. That's Just not wait. true. I had two points. Um, and the other was to do with because we don't, the laws might not be sufficient, we shouldn't try. Well, if that was the case, we would never have gotten anywhere with our legal. Uh, with our law and our civilization, we always have to try and keep improving our laws, which is why I specifically said no one should be allowed to profit from the euthanasia industry. It should be a highly regulated um, activity and only open <clears> to a <throat> very small percentage of people um, and that you can write into law that... Doctors working not... for free? Well, it would be more like the state offers a position and no one profits from that role. It'd just be a, a marginal... Uh, a fee that you can do it as part of your thing, but you can't make an industry out of it. So you can't set up a clinic and start taking in patients and making an industry out of it. More like a... Just does a ever
2: I, I, I'm um, sorry, I, can I just jump in there? Like the moment you allow, government allows anything, people become experts in that field. So you're telling me that you think that there can be a euthanasia law passed... That will allow people free choice, but they can't go to the expert euthanasia doctor to live out their final day. That, that just won't happen. That That's absurd. There will be an expert no, euthanasia no, doctor no. and you'll make a very good living out of it.
1: I'm saying you can't make profession out of it. If your worry is mission from people's benefit, you can't go and coerce it by making business. But that's beside the point of whether people have the right to choose when they leave the world. And don't forget, in Australia, we don't have guns, so there's not many options to people who want to leave easily. That's why, uh, particularly people who are stuck... Well, I'd be
0: happy to re- in- reverse that, Law.
1: People who are stuck in care, this is where I've seen so many of them, and it's not just a few. <clears throat> so many families who speak to have the same experience where their 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 grandparents and their great-grandparents, they had finished their lives. They were in terrible pain, and they knew they were not being coerced by doctors they were fully rational thinking people who did not want to continue enduring another month or two just to satisfy the morality of somebody else who was unrelated to them it's that it should be at the end of the day their choice not to have to do something horrific like starve themselves to death which is still the same thing in order to escape the prison they find themselves in which is basically a state of you know eternal pain and suffering which Can I
2: I just want to jump in here because we. we uh, this is a motive topic, I get it. Um, you know, I, I thank uh, Ali for putting forward her views, but I, I just want to put forward an anecdote because this whole debate seems to be anecdotes of people who watch their grandfather or grandmother die. And, you know, it was terrible. Um, I'm just going to say death is a terrible thing. And I think what we have really uh, is a misunderstanding about the role of medical care to keep people alive. Uh, So it is not euthanasia to uh, choose not to undergo medical care that will unnecessarily prolong life. So it's very different than euthanasia. But, you know, I saw my grandfather die 18 months ago and he was a very, very successful uh, businessman, a doctor. uh, You know, he lived a wonderful life. And when he became old and frail and he ended up with dementia, you know, he was, you could say, a shell of the person he used to be. And you could, I, I think this is where I've got a different view than what seems to be the majority of these anecdotes. The world seems to look at a man like that and say, what a waste. You know, he used to be somebody uh, and he's a shell of a man. We should, he should be allowed to die. But I think what they're really saying is I don't want to look after him. But I saw my mother go and visit him every day. And I went to visit him as well, and I was there when he passed away. Uh, and I think that really what Grandpa became was a very successful man who raised my mother. He ended up becoming an opportunity where my mother could show love to him in his final days. And that whole aspect of, of uh, this has been forgotten. You know, instead of showing love to our parents, we're saying, how can I get rid of them so that they, they don't, become something that I don't want to deal with. I I think that's a terrible attitude that society in general has seemed to have taken on board over the last generation probably.
0: Yeah. Likewise,
1: Bernie.
0: Likewise, Bernie. Bernie, um... Sorry, Ellie, you go.
1: That's certainly not the position I was taking. I was talking about people who every time you visited them, which was every couple of days, they were begging you to kill them because of the pain, the physical pain they were going through well that's likelihood.
0: certainly um, certainly something that should be uh, approached not with uh, not with death as therapy but with with proper pain management um, you had, you had
1: it. they had it there's only so much pain management you can give to people with certain well,
0: conditions. it's 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 um possibly the case that they weren't getting it because they were they were suffering so badly as as i've said palliative care experts inform us that just about all pain can be successfully managed now um, and those that can't, uh, and I've heard the stories where palliative care has gone wrong and, and, been, and been traumatic, um, and, and that is solved almost entirely with, with better funding and better training. Um, but to think that adjusting the entire tone, nature and posture of laws and medical care in the state to suit one or two people is like making a rule that you can pee in one end of the pool and it's not going to affect everybody. It actually affects everybody. So as much as there's going to be um, some adverse effects for those people for whom palliative, perfectly funded and trained palliative care is still inadequate and they are in the ever-diminishing minority, there is going to be massive flow-on consequences, negative, horrible um, casualties of the legalisation of this for everybody else. Um, that is affected by the laws which affect 25 million people or, or in Queensland's case, 5 million people um, all at once. So making laws for everybody based on a handful of people, and it is a handful of people who, <laughs> for whom properly funded and trained palliative care would be inadequate, uh, is, is just a very un-libertarian approach. You're essentially um, putting a, an uncharacteristic amount of faith and confidence um, in the good management and execution of government policies by government bureaucrats um, and now that's
1: to be very strongly because you are forcing people to live who don't want to live whereas people who want to take no out no
0: that's not true Again, you're playing with words in a very terrible way what we're not forcing anybody to do anything what we're saying is uh nobody else is allowed to voluntarily participate in homicide uh, you can do what you want you can't um compel anybody else to do what they want through through so to participate in, in hair,
1: that? how can someone stuck in care in their life in australia if they can barely walk how can they do that
0: well they can't the, 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 the lack, lack of alternatives can't. is not the same as coercion so
1: what oh, you oh, oh,
2: think? just just because someone's in care why should they end their life anyway like what's the difference between someone in care wanting to end their life and me wanting to end my life there's no difference i I want to raise another issue
0: Uh, Let me just interrupt you. Let me interrupt you there, Bernie, um, because I want to give Ellie some love. Political Posting Mama comments, I may disagree with you on some issues, but you argue very well, Alexandra, and I enjoy listening to you and appreciate your viewpoint. Um, And I can say here, here to that. It's a very appreciated counterpoint to this. We are having a lot of fun, um, but, Bernie, I interrupted you. Let's – oh, actually, I wanted to say this. If
1: if I can – care was the only reason I mentioned care was to just to show the people who can't physically walk out of the room. So the only yeah. reason I said in care is that they aren't able to go and jump off a bridge, for instance. But their um, options in their own life are limited. That's why I so said But we say
2: someone hard. who can walk off a bridge is doing the wrong thing. It's suicide. We say that's the wrong thing.
1: No, and, I and say we
0: yeah, but we, as a society, fight very hard to intervene and and save them from that fate and and help them make a better choice with with proper support, etc. So, um, very clearly, morally, we we think it's a wrong thing to do that. If we and, and that's actually a good point in itself that the whole anti-suicide industry is a very good advocacy for mental health. Um, it is contradictory and hypocritical in the highest order to then promote the freedom to make that choice as if it's ever a rational, sane valid moral choice uh, so, yeah, there's, exactly. there's mixed messages there i,
2: I just no. want to jump in because it is a fact that since euthanasia has been legalized places like belgium and, and the netherlands are now allowing people to kill themselves because they have mental health problems yep I mean, that, that's the reality so the whole anti-suicide uh advocacy care effort is been completely undermined in, in those countries. And there's another yeah. issue that I think has been forgotten in this, and that is what does it do to the medical profession? So if you look at uh, places like Canada and Belgium and the Netherlands, there's a very, very strong argument that the number of COVID-19 cases, the deaths they've suffered, is because they have had a euthanasia philosophy, you could say, and so they have, as a medical profession, have simply stopped treating elderly people. So in, in Belgium, the Netherlands, they, they just made a decision. Elderly people couldn't go to hospital, even though there were hospital beds available for them. Uh, and I, I think that is a terrible consequence of a society that believes that it's okay to kill the elderly.
0: One of the things I want to uh, articulate in wrapping this segment up is that... Uh A pro-life anti-euthanasia position is not an advocate for um, unnatural prolonging of life and with it suffering. Um, The pro-life position would allow a natural end to life. Um, And and even the law of second effect where um, copious amounts of pain medication may have the unintended second effect of ending a life Um, sooner that is also not something that we would oppose pain should be treated and should be properly treated it's only the deliberate intervention to end a life prematurely uh, which is to be stopped the deliberate intervention to prolong suffering uh, with prolonging life uh, that that's just as immoral in my mind as as ending life prematurely if somebody says no more um, extraordinary measures when it's my time it's my time well Peace be with you. Go with God. Um, we have no right to to make you live live longer that way. That would certainly be immoral, and and that's not a, a pro life position. The pro life position is when it's your natural time to die. It's your natural time to die. We don't have to force you to be alive um, forever. Um, one of the important um, Nuances to this all of these these complex arguments, Matthew, uh, is where is the nexus between uh, cultural solutions and political solutions? We can legislate against euthanasia. It's already legislated against and we can legislate to open it. Um, we can legislate against abortion and, and we can legislate against Daniel Andrews treating us like housebound um, lab rats. Um, but exactly where does culture come into taking responsibility for, um, for the direction um, that our politicians and, and legislation go?
3: So have you heard the famous quote, I don't care who writes the laws of a nation, let me write its songs, because on, on its songs it turns. It's, the, it's this idea of politics being downstream for, from culture, and it's a bit of a debate, but I think most people would accept that that um, politics reflects uh, generally uh, what we put in there in the first place, the will of the people, not always the will of the people, but certainly the sentiment of the people. And that's what really astounds me by, for example, the election of Jacinda with such a thumping majority in New Zealand. And yet everything I'm hearing, I'm a half Kiwi and everything I'm hearing is how terrible it is over there. And I'm saying, well, not that terrible. You just gave her a huge majority. And so I, I, I don't, and on my channel, um, I don't fight on like this argument we've been having on this channel. I think it's good that you're having that argument. It's just not what I fight on. I, I, th- I try and fight on culture because I believe if we can turn the hearts and the minds and the culture of people, that's a far more effective way of fighting. So if you don't like abortion, well, banning it, okay, maybe you'll save some some lives. But overall, you're, you're inflaming a whole bunch of people as well. And I'm wondering if the cultural influence of, say, churches or uh, – or mosques or whatever other religions, uh, the sanctity of life through Buddhism. I'm wondering if uh, fighting on that front is where we should be investing our, our emotions and time. And one of the reasons is I think that we often fight on policy and logic, you know, the Ben Shapiro approach. And I, I'm a big fan of Ben Shapiro. Yeah. I'm not sure how many minds you change when you uh, smack someone over the head on some of these contentious issues with, with facts and reason. And that's one of my big... Uh, criticisms of conservatism uh, is that they they don't engage the heart enough. uh, And the the left, I think, often feel like they're not being heard. And so you can tell them they're irrational all they want, but until they feel heard, they're not going to listen to you.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: Enlarge, Ellie?
1: Huh?
0: Enlarge, Uh, what what are your thoughts on, on how do we influence culture to affect a better body politic?
1: Well, first of all, I think he said it absolutely perfectly that one of the reasons I'm online and on Twitter and on there every day and writing articles is because it's called the culture wars for a reason. And while we bicker and squabble about these issues, there's a far larger, more dangerous issue coming for us, and that is the rise of Marxism, which will make all of these a moot point anyway. And Mm. if we don't uh, have more open discussions with... uh, the more moderate sections of both sides of politics, we are going to end up with a radicalised left taking our children and indoctrinating them into the extreme point of view that none of us in this panel have argued for. And we won't be able to get mm. them back for a generation. And so coming on too strong with an absolute of uh, demanding that people uh, take a, a very set viewpoint um, on extremely contentious issues that are very much smaller issues in society, I think would be... A, a a misstep as far as winning the overall culture war which is bringing people back to the center dealing with the problem of rising marxism which is more than 70 percent of our uni students think that that's a good idea so just to show you how big that problem is becoming um i think we need to fight the overall larger battles first before we start uh on these smaller niche battles because you're never going to win the niche battles with the base as it is right now I, i just don't think you'll get anywhere near it you'll make a great point you'll have a good argument but as far as converting people to a moderate position, I don't think it'll happen. Not with the way uh, society is laying out. I mean, my nephews are a generation younger than me and you should hear what those kids say and do. Um, These (laughs) conversations will get nowhere near them and we need to get near them. And uh, so I didn't say it as well as as you did very well, but um, I hope that helps expand it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, good. Uh, what do you think, Bernie? Uh, how do we tackle the culture wars? Uh, is the good source part of the solution?
2: Oh, Dave, the good source fights fake news, so of course it's part of the solution. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think it's very interesting what Matthew said, and it's a bit of a, a chicken and egg thing, I think, in some ways. you know, is it, Does life imitate art or art imitate life? I think culture influences laws, I think laws influence culture, uh, and I would say that uh, what we really need is to be involved in the culture discussion and also in politics, and I I don't think Matthew would like this, but I, I'm just going to throw it out there because I think this is an issue that needs to be addressed, and I'll be very interested in what he thought, But. Personally, as a philosophy, uh, liberalism or libertarianism I think actually enables and it is what has allowed, you know, created a bedrock or a foundation for a growth in extreme radical leftism, uh, a removal back to the ideas of communism. I mean, I think I think one naturally leads to the other. Um, and so... Yeah, the, the culture is very important. Uh, I, I guess I'll just disagree with, with Matthew and Ali that uh, a libertarian philosophy is, is going to prevent a rise in, in Marxism. I, I just don't think it will. I think it naturally leads to it.
3: But to be clear, Bernard, I'm not arguing here that libertarianism will uh, solve our problem. I'm simply saying that we are, the conservative side of the world is stuck fighting a factual battle. And the left are saying, don't you care about women whose lives are going to be ruined by having a baby? And you just have this non-communication going on. And if you think Mm. about, this is an interesting, I had Gideon Rosner from the IPA here a couple of nights ago. And he said something interesting that. We are observing the left lose elections and lose a whole bunch of things every now and then, but they're never losing the culture wars because even though the conservative and the right side of government, we're seeing this in Queensland with the LNP, they're now campaigning on, on centre-left issues or left issues. The LNP's campaigning on climate change, which is ridiculous. It's not going to energise their base in Queensland. Uh, and so we're finding that the, the left is still getting left policies up all over the world. So there's something we're not doing right. Well, I say yep. we, I'm not even a conservative, really. There's something that the conservative are not are, are not addressing because the left are winning despite yeah, election I, results.
2: So, Matthew, I would 100% agree with you on that. Like, there is a major problem uh, and conservatives, win, I, I agree with you, they win elections, but we still move to the left. Mm. Uh, you know, you only have to look the fact that we're having a discussion about euthanasia when... Mm. 25 years ago, it never would have happened under a Labor government, shows how far left we've moved. So absolutely, we're doing things that are wrong. And I think one of the problems is that conservative people have essentially decided to opt out of politics. Um, and politics, at the end of the day, is a game that is won by the people who turn up. Yep. Um, so th- that's a real issue. Uh, I think that the church, I'm going to say the Catholic church because that's what I am. Uh, has completely vacated the culture wars over the last two generations. Uh, it, it, and when it does you know, dip its foot into the culture wars, it talks about refugees and climate change, which just shows um, how far it has gone. And I think one of the reasons is that... And sorry, and I agree with you 100% that, you know, the left talk about emotions and, and the right tend to talk about facts. Um, and so you do have this complete pointless debates, I guess, or a debate that can't even happen. Um, I find it interesting that you say the left say you're not listening to us when they're the ones pushing laws to stop people speaking. Um, That's a real irony. Uh, But at the end of the day, I I think you need to have an argument that is based on facts um, if it's going to make, if it's going to be uh, an argument or a debate that is going to lead to anything fruitful, if it's just based on emotion, um, then at the end of the day, that argument is going to be won by who got the most emotional, because that—that's what it will tend towards. Well, it should um, be and-
3: based on, sorry, Bernie. It, it should yeah, be no, based no, on honestly. fact, but it should be based on fact, but it should harness emotion. Look, Stephen Fry, right, said yep. this: "A a truth told poorly is a lie." And that's why you've got to think about people like Jordan Peterson, pretty much a conservative. Uh, the conservative values he's pushing are having a far greater effect on our entire planet, hundreds of thousands of people now, uh, than any politician or any conservative Ben Shapiro, in my opinion.
1: Uh, can I add to Interesting. that? Um, the, uh, the, the idea that the loss of religion leads us to Marxism uh, rings false, first of all, particularly in Russia, where there are plenty of religious Marxists. And uh, something might interest you, quite a lot, is all of my religious friends that I have left over from school, they're all part of the far-left radical Marxist movement, and they're still religious. The handful of irreligious people in my school, about eight or nine of us, we're all conservative, blue-ribbon liberals and libertarians who cherish our institutions, who believe in uh, teaching kids history. Um, And that divide is not just in my school, it's across the board. I can't tell you how many... Uh, feminists that you, the the whole woke feminism that you'll find, who are also deeply religious, but then they'll be there in the Marxist Black Lives Matter rally, front and center. So I think that's a a, a, a misjudgment of reality based upon us, uh, and it's not quite quite true in princ- in fact and in, in on the ground. Um, uh, as for why it's happened, someone who's only just recently uh, had a if you go through school and it had to do the whole schooling process again. It really is that there is no history of any value in our schooling system anymore. So the kids who are being introduced to these ideas, they don't understand any of the history behind the ideologies that are being taught to them. They are being manipulated by the curriculum and by teachers in positions of power. And if the government wants to fix the narrative and to at least give these kids a chance, they need to go back to the curriculum and just teach basic history. Teach basic political science, go back to the Greeks and the Romans and show where political systems started, what went wrong, what worked, take them through uh, the rise and fall of Europe and show them why they have the freedoms they have today. And then let them decide after they have that knowledge whether or not they want to go and stand with a violent Marxist group. But it's a lack of information and a lack of schooling that is the root cause of this problem. And that's why it is a tendency to be a generational problem.
2: Well, can I just, I'll just jump in there because I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think you might be quite surprised by this. Um, and I'm certainly not surprised by your comment about the religious people, as you call them, being, you know, standing on top of the Marxists because they do. I, I, it is a massive problem. But I would argue that it is not a, um, a flow-on from them being taught the Christian faith. I'd say it's a problem for them being taught the Christian faith very badly. So, you know, a lot of people I don't agree. understand this, but the Catholic Church, for instance, basically in the 1960s, decided to throw away history. So you spoke about the importance of history, and I 100% agree with you. But from the 1960s onwards, the Catholic Church has decided that it is going to operate as if it began in 1960 um, with the sec- Second Vatican Council. So... Um, and you you might not understand all all the ins and outs of what happened in the Catholic Church, but essentially uh, what you see now is a bunch of boomer Catholics and not many people who decided to stay on because why would you stay on in an organisation that started in 1960 and was just devoid of everything except sentimentality? Um, And it's produced people who finish 12 years of Catholic education and go out and vote for the Greens um, and do so on the basis that they're being a good Catholic when they actually have no understanding of of the history, the tradition, the teaching of the church. So I, I think, think we're talking about the same problem.
1: Yeah. I think what I was trying to, to point out, particularly to the religious people who may be watching it and to your good selves, is that as a conservative online who is also secular... The biggest problem that I have to fight is a battle on two fronts where not only do I have to fight against the Marxist left, but an entire generation of people, religious people who believe that secularism therefore equates to Marxism. I think we're seeing it's more related to a lack of education and predatory teachers with kids, not whether they are religious or not. It's we should teach our kids to be sceptical of political movements and to pursue history before they start deciding what's going to happen to the future. That
2: was my Amen. only my underlying point. There.
1: Amen. Well, just just
2: to clarify, I, I don't see all secularists as as Marxists. Although I stand by my argument that libertarianism tends to lead. I, I think it leads to um, all sorts of bad places. But I
1: uh, I, I,
2: so I, I would I would just differentiate between a person who. does not believe in God, for instance, but believes in a natural order and a natural law um, and a person who just believes that the only arbiter of right and wrong is themselves or a group of people um, or a democracy or a king or whatever it is, you know, that that what is right and wrong is decided solely by whoever's in power. Um, I, I think they're two different
1: outlooks. That's really interesting because that's exactly why I try, that's why I introduced myself and I asked David to say, uh, David, I was a secular humanist because my lack of belief says nothing about me. My philosophy is essentially where you place your religion. So that is, uh, I think, an interesting division there, uh, sort of uh, what the way people think about each other. And you have to have either a religion or a life philosophy uh, in this world. And what we have lost amongst our schools is any connection to our past philosophies and what, what brought Western civilization to this point, which is a mixture of Christianity and, of course, the Enlightenment, both of them working together toward what should be a peaceful and stable reality, which is always being hijacked by Marxists. Um, they're always there off to the side. It was the worst idea anyone ever came up with, and it just won't away. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Well, let's. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to this conversation. It's flowed nicely. I didn't want to interrupt. Um, there's probably one thing I wanted to just talk about from the comments. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, it Ninja Guy. It Ninja Guy says we need to be the salt of the earth, um, which is a, a command of Jesus, um, which was basically telling us. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Salt that loses its flavour is totally useless. Waste of space and time gets thrown out in the street and trod trod underfoot. Um, And Nick, uh, forgive me for uh, debating you, um, but um, she said we shouldn't be focusing on culture. That's worldly speak. Well, it's actually just a synonym, um, if you'll allow me to disagree, Nick. um, Salt. Um, was a metaphor for influencing, flavouring and changing the nature of the environment around you, uh, which is essentially a a culture war Um, and uh, also metaphorically illustrated by being the light of the world, um, bringing illumination um, and uh, dispelling darkness, casting shadows. It's uh, it's, uh, very, very strongly talking uh, about culture. Um, so yeah, just, just allow it to be a synonym and, and, uh, apply. I think it was Matthew chapter five, if anybody knows, but, uh, doesn't matter. Jesus said it. And I think it's a good idea. And if you, a secular humanist, um, then, uh, we can just call it a culture war and we'll all be happy. Look, thanks for that topic, uh, Matthew. I, I think that was, um, really productive and, uh, a lot longer than I expected. It's a, it's a fantastic topic and, and I think you're hundred percent right, um, right wingers are pretty flippin' useless um, at at uh, appealing to the emotions. Um, we believe so strongly in facts, evidence, data, and logic. We get accused of being callous um, to the uh, lived experience of of uh, of people, um, and uh, we need to employ that language, etc., and And I like the way you, you said it, if I can remember. It was appeal to emotions while dealing with facts. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I think that's a, a, good, um, a good place to be there. Elizabeth Hochman agrees. Um, she loves salt and light. Gleeson says Christians need to be salt and light and promote the way to salvation, but the Christian movement is essentially apocalyptic. The world cannot be saved. Well, apocalypse actually means great revealing, um, mm. not great destruction. Um, so, yes, I agree. That is the whole point. Um, uh, so, anyway, there's more comments. Look, I really appreciate everybody in the comments who's joined us tonight, of course, as well as our panelists. Uh, Matthew, where can people find more of you? I couldn't make up a banner to, to advertise um, your, your uh, useful location address. What should they search for in YouTube or Google to find you?
3: Just discernible with an A. You can spell it with an I or an A, apparently. So I created an A. Anyway, yeah, look, I just have long-form conversations with interesting people like Jim Penman. Do you know Jim Penman is a full-on Christian, evangelical, happy clappy Christian, like Jim's mowing and that guy? But he's also extremely strange. He wants to bioengineer the entire planet by injecting everyone, everyone, and making them (laughs) superhumans. So I have those sort of conversations.
0: That'll be a fascinating conversation. Uh, Send me the link. We'll post it on uh, Dave Pello and, and Good Source. Um, and uh, that, that'll be a, a whole lot of fun. Thank you. Search for discernible with an A for those people um, uh, listening to the podcast uh, later. And Ellie, um, you can all your links. I have a, a banner for you twitter.com slash Ellie Melly uh, with Ys, um, no IEs. Uh Is there anywhere else? You've got a, a nice blog and you've got a podcast. Coming to um, the Good Source very soon. Coming, coming to a a new media outlet soon near you. Um, the Good Source. Uh, actually, Ellie, um, while you're giving yourself a plug, somebody asked if the Dalek on your bookshelf behind you was some kind of sub some subliminal messaging.
1: No, as you can tell, I'm just a sci-fi fan. There's a whole entire box set there of Stargate and Battlestar Galactica and X Files. Come know, on now, it's, it's a problem. Um, awesome. you, can find, you can find me at Ellie which Melly, which by, uh, is actually my name. That's what people call me in real life. Um, I have a blog that's linked at the top. You can support me on Ko-fi. There's a link up there if you like what I have to say. I, of course, have a new podcast coming out on a certain platform, Dave, uh, if I can get my stuff together to do that. Um, I also write for Spectator Penthouse, which I know you hate me mentioning, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and of course, The Good Source.
0: Fantastic. And only one of those is worth uh, supporting financially. Uh, Bernie, uh, your fantastic show it comes out every Sunday morning uh, on the Good Source, The Bernie Gaynor Show. And uh, you've got your blog as well, bernardgaynor.com.au. Um, and uh, people can find you on twitter.com forward slash Bernard Gaynor, N O R. Um, any, anything else uh, that we should know about you other than you're a crusader champion? warrior for uh, causes of justice and righteousness in public policy.
2: Well, I do my best, Dave, but uh, I'm excited by the shed that I've been filming uh, the episode every Sunday with you in, and it is coming along. So uh, if you can help out with that, please do so. Uh, A great episode coming out this Sunday. Stay tuned for that. I had a really great conversation tonight with Ellie and uh, Matt. Uh, I enjoy these debates, even though we might have uh, very different opinions uh, and I think they're important to have and uh Matt especially I, I'm not sure where you are Ali, but uh Matt I know you're down there in uh dictator central lands uh, I wish you all the best <laughs>
0: I hope you get your freedom I'm- soon uh so where are you from Ellie
1: in New South Wales I'm a free soul I'm in rural too so I have no rules
0: unless you okay. want to go to church
2: <laughs> well look, I still think we're not completely free up here in Queensland but uh we're, we're not I've got family down in, in Melbourne so uh I know things aren't good down there, and I hope I hope that you get your freedom
0: soon. We we've got a few people here. Uh, Matthew, is this your brother, James Hero Wong?
3: You're supposed to change your last name, you clown, before putting up. <laughs> Shout out <gee.
0: laughs> Well, your brother loves your show. That's a, that's a good start. Brothers aren't necessarily an easy audience. Um, and uh, Natalie Dawes says she loves reading your tweets, Ellie. Um Joan White says, great panel again. Thank you guys. Uh, well done, Bernard. Um, some accusation of Masonism being involved in sci-fi. Well, I confess I have absolutely nothing to do with uh Masonicness, and I love sci-fi, maybe nearly as much as Ellie, although not quite to investing in box sets. Natalie Dawes not only loves Ellie, but discernible as well. Um And uh, there we go. And James is defending himself, Matt. It takes two weeks to change my name. (laughs) Uh, There you go. Fair enough. Uh, Nick says thanks for the chat. Uh, And I will just add to Bernard's um, comment that uh, folks who want to jump in and support the good source, this is uh, the uh, 24 square metre shed um, that was uh, nearly always predominantly used for um, circular saws, um, metal filings, sawdust everywhere. But it's not real friendly on um, on the equipment. So uh, we're throwing away any ambitions of being a handyman, and um, completely dedicating that space in a great fit out for um, producing more videos like this for the Good Source. Uh, and I have to say uh, that Bernard will be joining me uh, along with Lyle Shelton and a few other guests. Um, on Saturday, the 31st of October, where we will be disrupting mainstream media. The reverberations will uh, shake um, the old corporate media for a very long time. We're going to be covering the Queensland election. Uh, if you think Color Talk Live is long, wait till we do election night coverage for three hours, stop wall-to-wall coverage of the battleground seats and all the commercial stations will be um, cutting out the guff and bringing you the headlines of what's important what you need to know we'll be crossing live to some campaigns out there the uh, the after party speaking to the candidates um, we've got uh, we've got uh, James um, oh, I'm so sorry mental blank terrible um, Ashby, James Ashby from Pauline Hanson's uh, One Nation Party, who will be joining us uh, for a little while to talk uh, about some of their closer campaigns where they're expecting to perhaps even come at least second uh, and be uh, significant in, in hopefully uh, forming a minority government, which would be the ideal in Queensland where we don't have an upper house. Uh, I have to say things aren't looking great uh, for changing government in Queensland. Uh, I'm aware that there's a lot of party insiders at the moment um, not exactly counting their chickens just yet. It's uh, it's going to be a miracle for them to even pick up a single seat. Uh, so, guys, you have to get out there. And most importantly, let me encourage you to appeal to to all of those candidates, contact them directly. Don't take a how-to-vote card from anybody. Think for yourself, do your own research and articulate what's important to you. That is how you get representation, not with a single ballot. But uh, please don't waste your vote. Um, all right, let's uh, just give everybody a final 30-second uh, wrap-up and then we will sign off and say goodnight. Ladies first, uh, as uh, a as, um, believer in a in a chivalrous society ellie uh your final thoughts for the evening
1: i may be a libertarian but i definitely enjoy a bit of chivalry uh i don't need 30 seconds i will just say good luck for the queensland election i fear it will be a replay of new (coughs) zealand so uh i might play a drinking game and, and see how many uh different seats you guys pick up or unfortunately lose so good luck
0: indeed uh matthew Thanks for joining us tonight. Your final thoughts on the conversation or any other topic we've had this evening.
3: Thanks, David. Uh, Look, thank you for the love uh, for us down here in Melbourne. We are crushed at the moment, but we are not broken. And there is a huge uprising uh, coming. It is uh, expressed mostly in our normal civil disobedience, the way we go about our lives. I know we're not protesting because we can't. People are being arrested before protests happen. It's crazy. But like I keep saying in all of my content, we set the tone for Victoria, not the Premier's office, and there is a, a strong spirit of, of Victoria rising up. And so I think we're going to come out of this on the other side stronger and more uh, cognizant of the importance of our freedoms and, and who we elect. So from being the far-left state that keeps on electing craziness, I'm hoping mm. we go the other way next time round. Yep, indeed. And Bernard, uh, lucky last.
2: Well, look, i just put some predictions out there, Dave. Anastasia Palaszczuk is going to win the Queensland election. Now, that's sad news. Donald Trump will win the United States presidential election. I think Richmond will beat Geelong, and I think (laughs) Melbourne will beat Penrith.
0: I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Well, that's it for this evening. Thank you very much again, everyone, for joining us, the panellists, the commenters who participated in the conversation. I just need to put myself in Bernard's position, and then I can do that. And it works. Yay! Awesome. Thank you again for joining us. And uh if you would like to become a good source supporter, uh head to goodsource.news forward slash studio. That's S-A-U-C-E. Goodsource.news forward slash studio. We're trying to raise a significant chunk of change uh so that we can create a more permanent presence and a more permanent, um viable option to replace the old corporate media. In Australia. But that is it for this evening. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next week.
3: It's not enough to do nothing,
1: it's time for us to do something.